Okay, so once again, we are in the book of 2 John tonight. We've been in 1 John, but we're moving on to 2 John, and 2 John is only 13 verses long. And so, uh, unfortunately, I, I believe that this is a, a book that's often overlooked, not studied very often. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached from 2 John. And, uh, and so, I think it's important that as we look at 2 and 3 John, these short letters, these short books in the Bible, uh, that we remember that they were also inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that even though it, it's something that is short, we can still learn uh, from it. And so, as we are getting into this tonight, we're going to be starting off by talking about uh, hospitality, and Second John and Third John have a lot to do with hospitality. And you know, my parents are very gracious to welcome visitors into their home. Uh, in fact, just this past weekend, we were over there visiting, uh, and my grandmother came to visit, and they brought a lady that I had never met before, but apparently they uh, knew somewhat. Uh, but they, they, my grandma brought her over there, and they welcomed her warmly into their house and with lots of uh, excitement and, and graciously welcomed them in. And I remember as being a, a child and being a teenager that uh, my parents were gracious not only to allow my friends to come and visit, uh, but I remember specifically having one friend that when I was in high school, he would stay over for three or four nights of the week, each week. Uh, and course I was driving and he was not able to and so uh, I was his ride to get to church <laughs> and so uh, he would come on Saturdays and Sundays and uh, and he would come on Wednesday nights and, and sometimes additional nights throughout there but um, the point being my parents have always been very hospitable so I don't know what went wrong with me <laughs> but somewhere along the way uh, I did not learn that uh, I'm not a very hospitable person, and, and I admit to you that I struggle with this because I crave some solitude from society. I, I crave to, to get away from people. Not that I don't like being around people. I just need some space to myself, you know? And so I want to withdraw into the comfort of my own home without worrying about who might be suddenly stopping by, who might be coming over. And so, and I know this is something that I need to work on, so uh, pray for me about this, uh, that God would help me to, to develop this as a skill. But, uh, but I need to work on hospitality, and Christian hospitality is, uh, is very important. Uh, hospitality is defined as the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. And these two shortest books in the New Testament are letters that are written to individuals regarding their hospitality. So even a couple of short memos that comes from one of the original disciples, they have great value and are also inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so though they're short, they include crucial encouragement and some warnings. Now, Second John, as we get into it, it's going to sound somewhat similar to First John, but the main difference being it has a different audience and it goes into looking at this idea of hospitality. So whereas 1 John is written generally to a church and to all Christians uh, as a whole, 2 John is written to a particular person. And in fact, it's the only New Testament letter that we have that's specifically addressed toward a woman. 
Now, John's primary concern seems to have stemmed from this individual's inadvertent or unwisely showing hospitality to some false prophets. And so, excuse me, although his exhortation to deny hospitality to these false ministers may appear to be harsh or maybe even unloving, if you look at all on the surface, the, the dangerous nature of these false teachers' deceptive teaching justifies such actions because it threatens to destroy the very foundations of the faith that John was so adamant about covering in 1 John. So once again, John stresses the basic truth about Christ's identity and to deny the the humanity or even the deity of Jesus is to deny that Jesus suffered and that his sacrifice was sufficient, and is to downplay the sacrifice that he endured that would redeem us, redeem the world from sin. So as we get into this tonight, let's start off by reading the first six verses of First John or Second John. It says this To the elder, I'm sorry, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth and keeping with a command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. And so this first part of this letter is really looking toward this idea of opening your doors in love of the truth. He wants us to open your doors in love of the truth. So John begins this letter... uh, to, his, to this woman, his friend, in the traditional form of a short letter by first introducing himself. John is the elder, uh, and this refers both to his physical age, because at this point he was elderly, uh, but it also refers to his position in the church. He was an elder. John is the elder for Asia Minor. And so he has a spiritual authority over the congregations that are in Asia Minor. And so it reminds the reader also that this elderly man is one of the few, one of the last remaining people who had been physically close to Jesus during his earthly ministry. And truth is very important to John. And truth should be very important to us as well. We want to know that we're living the truth and not a lie. Now, just uh, just yesterday, I was speaking with a classmate. Uh, he uh, was coming into the to our department having a, a technology question, but we got to to speaking, uh, just conversing with one another. This man is uh, he's an MDiv student. He's in his fifties, and he shared with me his story. His name is DJ. DJ was born and raised in uh, Tehran, Iran, as Muslim. His parents were Muslim, his grandparents were Muslim, and so he was Muslim. And so he was what you might call a cultural Muslim. Like we would have cultural Christians that 
maybe are Christian in name, but they don't live according to the scriptures, but they were come from a Christian home or whatever. And so he, he said, I could only remember going to the mosque maybe a couple of times with my father. And so he was not a devout Muslim, but he was a Muslim. But one day there was a Christian missionary who shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he was confronted with the truth of God's word, DJ realized that he had been living a lie. And his life became radically changed by the gospel. He, he dedicated his life to Christ, and he now serves as a teaching elder in one of our local churches. So we don't want to be found to be living a lie, but when we do, we want to change and focus on living in the truth. Five times in the first four verses of Second John, the apostle uses the term truth. Now, the underlying Greek word that he's using there uh, would... Could, we could translate to corresponding to reality. In the New Testament, truth is normally referring to the facts about God because what is about God is true, and, and he's concerned about the accurate teaching of these acts, uh, of these facts. And so John uses the word here to refer to the basics or to the fundamentals of the faith that he had written about in 1 John. Truth is the basis for hospitality. Truth is the basis for hospitality. And so as John begins his letter, he expresses his affection for this woman who is a sister in the truth of the gospel. It's not that just John cares for her, but the whole church as well. Uh, He says, all these who know the truth. It it seems that John is confident that this, this woman knows the truth of the gospel and that she and her family abide in obedience to God's word. They walk in the truth, and yet you you can even see in verse three that there must be some court, some some kind of conflict going on because he says grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, and so God will grant these believers grace. He will grant these believers mercy. He'll grant them peace in the midst of this conflict that they're facing. Now, in this conflict, it's important as ever that the believer walk in love. And and so for the Apostle John, it's impossible to walk in love without also walking in truth. In John's particular situation, the the false teaching of these heretical teachers had divided the church. These false teachers had sown discord, they had sown strife, and they had not lived according to the truth, nor have they followed Christ's instructions to love. They had not demonstrated love for the Father. They had not demonstrated love for the Son. They had not lived for the truth of the gospel, and they had not demonstrated love toward their fellow believers. And yet this woman and her children, John says, they have been found to be walking in love and truth. You know, our society has been harshly divided uh, for some time now, perhaps at least all my life, if not longer. You have black or white. You have red or blue. You have pro-mask. You have anti-mask. It it seems like our society is so divided that we just cannot seem to reconcile with one another. I've seen people who have lost friendships over their differences in political beliefs and opinions. There's been a lack of hospitality toward people whose views don't align with ours. And, And I heard this said this week about 
as a, or I, I think I read it actually about being a, in a more digital world and social media and everything. We we think that by being on this platform of social media, we, we're going to uh, experience a, a whole new set of open ideas. Uh, but the problem is we we can there's algorithms that are working and seeing the things that we like and the things that we don't like and and all of the, what websites we visit and all of these things. And, and so it begins to to narrow it down to people who have the same beliefs as us, and, and so you get this kind of a, a oxymoron, uh, this uh, this opposite of what you expect, in that we don't get exposed to a lot of pe- what other people believe, but just we get this this echo chamber of yeah, what we believe has to be true because everybody on our social media page uh, is saying that it's true. Um, and so we, we become tuned to ourselves. We like to hear what we like and and that we begin to not show hospitality toward people who are not in agreement with us. And, uh, and so I've seen a lot of examples of that on, uh, in social media, but I've also seen some great examples of people who were reaching out in love and showing hospitality towards those who are not like them. Uh, you've heard us talk about our friends Chris and Sarah, uh, the Armstrong family. They, they serve as missionaries, and they came up here to uh, let Chris finish his degree, and, and then they were going back to the mission field, but right now they're, they're stuck waiting. Uh, but they've been a great example to us, because there, there's a local soccer field with a track uh, that is not far from us, but it's not really, it's, it's not the seminaries. It's just a community thing. Um, so they would go to this local soccer field and track and they would just talk with people. And if the people were open to it, they would invite them to come over to their house, uh, and, and to share a meal with them. And, and now most of these people that they were talking to were lower income Hispanic families, uh, or Hispanic individuals. And they were the kind of people that many of us maybe wouldn't be comfortable uh, inviting into our homes, not not comfortable being around. Yet Chris and Sarah would open their home to them and welcome them because they wanted to share the love of Christ with them. Now Jesus has charged us, he's charged the church with reaching the world. But most of the world doesn't look like us. Most of the world doesn't act like us. Most of the world doesn't speak like us. In fact, most Christians even don't look, act, or speak like us. If you're on Facebook and you're friends with me, or, or you may be on the, I think I posted this on the church page as well, you may have seen this article that I posted uh, that speaks about this. Statistically, the average Christian in the world is not a middle-aged white man, as, as the media would try to put forth as the norm, uh, which maybe is the norm for America. Okay, I, I give you that. But for the world as a whole, as a whole, the average Christian is a 22-year-old brown-skinned woman. So church, we must be better about our Christian hospitality and not just to the people that look like us, not just to the people who run in our social circles, not just to the people who look like us, act like us, and speak like us, but to all kinds of people. Look at who Jesus surrounded himself with. Jesus was constantly with those who were sinners and tax collectors. And who was it who had a problem with it? 
The church people, the religious people, the Pharisees had a problem with it. And so he went out to the people that his society shunned. He went out to the people that the church, the religious leaders, didn't want to have anything to do with. We need to reach out to people just like Jesus reached out to people. We need to reach out to people just like the people Jesus reached out to. We need to love people enough to share the truth with them, to share the gospel with them. We need to love people enough to share our homes with them, to welcome them in for a meal. And we need to recover Christian hospitality because we are failing at showing this to the world. And so John has set her up as as this example of great hospitality. But then he kind of takes this weird turn as we get into verse 7. Because there's a hospitality that he says, this is not good. So let's go ahead and jump into verse 7. He says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the, the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. And so John kind of counters what he's been saying about opening to the world. But to these people who are claiming to be Christians but teaching false heretical teachings, he says, close your doors. Don't let them in. Reject them. Because you love the truth. So close your doors because of your love of the truth. And so he sets these limits for Christian hospitality. And this is the centerpiece of John's thought in this epistle. This is what he is getting toward in writing to uh, to this friend of his. And, and see, in, in John's time, Christian families would open their homes to these traveling missionaries that would help spread the gospel. And yet there were some then, and there are some today, that would seek to abuse the good people of the church so that they could spread their heresy rather than spreading the truth. One of the great threats in John's time was not that those who would deny Jesus was God, but those who would deny Jesus was human. This early Gnostic teaching was influenced by Greek philosophy, and they believed that all things physical were evil. The physical realm was evil and it was you wanted to get to the spiritual rather than staying with the physical. And in a sense that's invaded us as well. Uh, we tend to focus on heaven and and, uh, and and getting over to the other side and, and being with God for eternity in heaven, but scripture clearly teaches that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and our bodies will be glorified and we will be return to a glorified, resurrected body uh, that is perfect and without the stain of sin, but we will be back on earth. We'll be back to original creation as found in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2. 
And so this teaching has invaded the Christian church uh, even still to this day. Um, but according to these Gnostic beliefs, uh, it, it restricted their idea of what Jesus could be because a, a holy God could not unite with an evil physical being. It could not, a, a spiritual being would not lower themselves to being a, a, with the physical and the evil. And so these false heretical teachers were going out amongst the churches and they were openly proclaiming this as the truth. And some were led astray by their teachings. In fact, a form of this became so popular uh, under the leading of, of, uh, of the Assyrians that by the time uh, of 325 AD, only about a hundred, I'm sorry, only about 200 years after Jesus had been walking on this earth, um, the, the, there was a need for the churches to come together and have the Council of Nicaea to say, no, this teaching that Jesus was not able to come in the physical form, that is a, heret a, a heretical teaching, and we need to reject that. And so the Council of Nicaea met and placed that as, as, a, as a doctrinal orthodox belief for us. They were just affirming what had already been taught by the, the, the apostles and by the church for, for many years, but this, they were combating against this false teaching that John himself was writing against uh, nearly a um, hundred years before. Now, in our own time, we don't really have as much of a problem with this. I, I know I said it has invaded our churches, uh, but our main problem, in my opinion, is that liberal theology has invaded both the church and our culture. Uh, there's not that many who would deny that Jesus was a man. It's more the idea that uh, we're evil and we want to get to the spiritual as far as uh, this uh, docism uh, or this Gnosticism. Uh, but for cultural as a whole, nobody seems to have a problem with the idea that Jesus was a man. And they'll say that he was a good teacher, he was a good prophet, uh, he was a, a good man. Uh, and there's various problems with that. Um, but I think probably what I personally struggle with the most is these people who try to turn Jesus into some mystical genie who wants you to live in comfort. If you just give enough, or if you just have enough faith, then God will bless you with earthly riches. Uh, and John has a word to say about all, all of these teachings. These are deceivers, they are antichrist, and you need to reject them. And so he says, therefore, watch yourself. He's implying a continuous action. We have to continually be on the watch, be on guard, be vigilant against these false teachers. The gospel of Christ is presented clearly in the scripture that Jesus is the God-man. He is fully human, fully God, and one being. And that he is fully sufficient. The gospel is sufficient. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to fit with modern philosophies. It doesn't need to fit with the latest trends. And so these, these people who try to adopt and change the gospel to make it more modern, make it uh, fit with our culture, is uh, they're not Christians. They're false teachers. They're liars. They're deceivers. They're antichrists. Uh, Kistenmacher says, if someone progresses and leaves the faith, then he is regressing and facing spiritual ruin. 
genuine progress is always rooted in Christ's teaching. And so John says, these people that teach things like this, they do not have God. The false teachers of John's day were on a campaign to destroy the basic fundamental truths of Christianity. And this effort has continued on into our own time. And so John gave a prohibition against welcoming people like this in Christian hospitality. It was not a case of, of refusing to entertain people who disagree on minor matters. Uh, we, can, we can be Christians and, and there are primary issues, there are tertiary issues. Uh, so we can, we can disagree on the tertiary. We can disagree on the secondary. But on these primary matters, we have to... It's essential that we are in agreement with them and we do not entertain people who teach false gospel. Hospitalities to such leaders spreads the aid, uh, aids in the spread of their heresy, and it leaves the impression that we, as Christians, have sanctioned these teachings of these antichrists. And, and so, one of the main problems I have to, is that if if you were to walk into any Christian bookstore, almost any Christian bookstore, you would probably find a plethora of such false teaching on the shelves as being put forth as Christian teachings because it's in a Christian bookstore and it's by a so-called Christian author. And even if you were to walk into a Christian's home, you may find them reading from one of these false teachers. And, and don't get me wrong, I understand reading so you know uh, what, what you're dealing with and, and doing research. I understand that. But I'm talking about those that are reading not to combat against these false teachings, but because they agree with these false teachings in some measure. It honestly has surprised me over the years as I've talked to Christian members about uh, about church members as I would find that they're reading Joel Osteen and, and think, are, are you reading it to uh, to combat against it? Or so just so you know what he says so you can go against it? But then they're like, no, 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 listen to what he says. And I'm like, I've listened to what he said. And I he's teaching false doctrine. Or Tony uh, Campolo or Joyce Meyer. These people who are teaching what they proclaim as the Christian gospel, but it is clearly against what the scripture says. You'd be shocked about how many false teachings you may hear in your Sunday school class or in your small group because someone has read some quote-unquote Christian author and they haven't filtered it through the scriptures first. They've just taken it as this is a Christian author, so it must be true. In fact, you might be stunned that some pastors just continue to preach the things that they have heard from other preachers. They continue to pass on what other preachers have have preached rather than studying it and holding it up against the scripture to determine, is this the truth? I know I have done it. I know I have been guilty of this, of why why did you teach that? Why Why do you believe that? And it's not because it's scriptural. It's not because it's in the Bible. And it's not necessarily because it's a doctrinal truth. It's just what I've heard taught all my life from preachers who just continue to to repeat what the previous preacher has told them. And so, friends, we, we must be careful about the people and about the teachings that we allow in our lives and that we show hospitality towards. We must discern what is the truth and what is heresy? And if it's heresy, we must reject it. If it's truth, we must embrace it. 
So John closes the short letter with a sentiment that many of us have experienced recently. Um, he says he desires to say much to this person that he cares about, but he would prefer to do so face-to-face rather than writing a letter. And the love for his fellow believer is so evident throughout this letter. But true love means that you have to keep the ones you care about from falling for a lie. So therefore, we need to stand firm in the truth of the gospel and reject false teachings. Not let them into our house. Not let them into our minds. But reject them. It is important that we rightly extend hospitality towards those to whom Christ has instructed us to extend hospitality. Listen to what he said as we are wrapping up with this. Matthew chapter 10. He says, Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And then he says in Matthew 25, The king will answer them, and and you're probably familiar with this, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you have done for me. So it's important that we welcome in people that are like this. People who are righteous. People who are a, a good prophet. People who are the least of us. But it's also important that we stand for the truth and not allow falsehood to be spread. We must stand firm in the truth of the gospel and reject false teachings. We should willingly open our doors in love to to those who are in need of the truth, but we should close our doors to those who spread falsehood and deceit by abusing the privilege that comes from Christian hospitality. So brothers and sisters, let me challenge you with this tonight. Stand firm in the truth of the gospel and reject false teaching. Do not let it in your home. Do not let it in your brain. Do not let it in your mind. Don't let it in your family. Combat against it. Do not embrace it. For Listen, as we close with this, I want to go back to what John said here. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you have given us the truth that can only be found in your word and through your Son, Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Spirit, we can know and discern what is truth and what is false. God, help us to be bold, to be courageous, that it may not seem to be the Christian thing, to stand up and say, no, I will not allow you in my house but that we would be bold enough that we'd embrace righteousness and combat against heresy. Father God, help us to love people, love the truth enough that we would share it with the people that you have asked us to share it with. To a world that is lost and and dying and in need of a Savior, let us share the hope of the gospel Let us welcome people into our homes. Let us share a meal with them so we can show love to them and share the love of Christ with them. But God, let us also have discernment. And if someone's bringing a false gospel, that we would correct them. And if they retain their false 
heretical teaching that we would reject them. So Father God, give us boldness, give us courage, give us wisdom. Send your spirit. Empower us through the ministry of him. And God, help us to show Christian hospitality to a lost world. Be with us the rest of this week as we go. Be with us as we live our lives, that we would be missionaries in our context. That we would be that we would be ministers to the world around us. Father God, pray this by the power of your spirit and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Hope you have a great week. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday.